You guys, welcome to episode 103 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known, more importantly, not-so-well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Sigourney Weaver. How are you girls? <laughs> good to hear it. It's always good to hear that you are doing well. Um, do you like that I don't even give you time to answer? <laughs> I tell you how you're doing. Um... We're back with another regular episode of The Smush Room, an old classic, an old nasty, an old tried and true. But I do have to say, I feel like last week's episode actually went very well. Like, it could have very easily gone off the rails, and it could have been five hours long, or it could have been ten minutes long, with me tapping my clock and being like, uh, now what? But it actually went really well. Rosie was an amazing guest. I can't wait to have her back on. And um, I gave you guys the Rachel Green shit that I know that you want. And I was very respectful because you know how that could have gone. And literally every single person listening to this knows how that could have gone. And the fact that I only gave you, what, two or three minutes of Jennifer Anderson bashing, if that even, that shows restraint. It shows growth. It shows depth. It shows humility, uh, class, if I may be so bold. And, um, yeah, I thought it was really fun, and I can't wait to do more of those fictional couple episodes. I think that I'm going to do them on me off weeks, so in between, uh, you know, doing these uh, full-blown, full-fledged 37 pages of notes, 2.22 a.m. in the morning episodes, I'm going to do a fun little lighthearted, and, I, and there was also a lightness to me in that episode, let's be real, there was a lightness you know what I mean? I was as light as a feather, but as stiff as a board. You know what I mean? I, I was so relieved to have done no more than watch an episode and to re- record about the episode that I watched. What most people do for a normal podcast, watch a show or watch a movie and then talk about it and get on with their life. But, uh, you know, that's not what I, that's not the gig that I signed up for. So that was super fun. But today, we have a really, 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 very, 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 super, 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 really big, super requested episode. Um, this is a big one. This is a milestone event. This is an episode that you guys have been requesting since the first episode of this podcast. This is one that you requested during the mailback episode. It's one that you guys DM me about all the time. This is like the one. We're talking about Kim Kardashian and Chris Humphreys today. And... um also, you guys have requested more Kardashian content and uh, content with a K, and I totally agree and want to deliver that to you. I think that you deserve more Kardashian content for sure. Um, I don't know what's taken me so long to uh, to rotate them back into the into the picture here, but I'm excited for this. Uh, I'm excited because <clears throat> Kim Kardashian and Chris Humphrey's relationships relationship represents such a specific time period for the Kardashians to me, like really the end of an era and the beginning of a new chapter for them. Um, Sort of the end of, you know, Kim, as we knew her, Kim as the, uh, you know, we'll talk about it, but Kim is like the sort of like fame hungry, desperate, like reality television star in her transition into uh, American royalty. Chris Humphreys, uh, represents that the peak of that and then sort of the end of it. And I just find that very fascinating. Um, also, by the way, I figure, I feel like I should tell you this is you truly been on this journey with me since, uh, the inception of this podcast. So it's been brought to my attention that I may possibly have 
some sort of like chronic bronchitis, which would explain the cough and the cough drops. According to my doctor, young men aren't addicted to cough drops. No, I had no idea. I thought that all of us fellas were popping cough drops all day, left and right. I thought that we all had a cough drop addiction together. I thought it was just a thing. I thought that in the winter, we all stocked up twice as much, but apparently it's a me thing. Who knew? So that explains my voice, and uh, it explains why I'm always eating cough drops, why I'm coughing every every fucking week. (coughs) And, uh, you know, thinking that I'm, like, sick, but then I'm like, you know, I can't be sick. There's no way. It's not possible. So my new sexual—actually, by the way, I just had to pause to cough. Um, my, my new sexual fetish is chloroseptic throat spray. Uh, <laughs> that's my new kink. So if you hear, like, the shaking of a liquid in the background of the episode, it's me just getting my bottle ready to spray in my throat. But anyways, we should get right into it. I'm really, really excited about this, and I have a lot of notes and a lot of shit to talk about, so let's just do it. Um, Kim Kardashian and Chris Humphrey started dating in winter of 2011. They were engaged in May of the same year, and they were married in August of the same year, and they were divorced in October of the same year. This is the the famous 72-day marriage. Uh, Their divorce was finalized in April of 2013. And um, <clears throat> I would say that this is like, you know, one of the first times a member of the Kardashian family made headlines in a way that they sort of do now, you know, aside from Kim's sex tape, which I don't really count. Um, this wedding felt like all encompassing in a way that it, it felt inescapable. And I think that we've gotten so used to the Kardashians sort of taking over our news and you know, taking over our social media timelines that, you know, by now, like, it's just it, it, the things that happen in their lives are so shocking for like a very short period of time. But this really felt like, holy shit, this is fucking wild. Like at the time, it was unimaginable that this is something that could happen. Um, You know, and that's not to say that this was the first like Kardashian scandal by any means, but this definitely was the first of this magnitude. And, you know, I don't think Kim Kardashian gets enough credit for the way she and her mom were able to sort of take the narrative in of this relationship and spin it. Um, you know, in 2019, the Kardashians are definitely polarizing, to say the least. But during this time, they were really despised. Like, they they couldn't, Kris Jenner couldn't even get in, in front of the press that they had during this time. It was a really, really negative, bad time for them. And it could have stayed that way. Like the fact that they were able to turn it around and become more loved and more celebrated is crazy. And I also find Kim's relationship with Chris interesting because, as I said earlier, it signifies like such a pivotal time in Kim Kardashian's image. Uh, this divorce marks the end of, you know, the original Kim Kardashian era, like before Kanye got his hands on her. So that means, like, you know, out with the the Skechers shape-ups and the Sears back-to-school line and the workout DVDs and in with the, like, Amber Rose 2.0 minimalistic, like, clawing her way tooth and nail 
into every respected fashion house that will give her the time of day. You know, it's this is the end of that old school shake weight uh, designer lollipop Kim. And, you know, Chris Humphreys is also such an interesting character because, you know, he was the first sort of major, I would say, wrench in the Kardashian machine. Similar to what a Black China sort of became, you know, to represent for that family years later. He, you know, he was this sort of unknown basketball player that none of us really knew anything about or cared about. He meets Kim and is immediately thrusted into this really strange sort of alternate reality where, you know, really important events taking place in his life are now like being manufactured by fucking Ryan Seacrest and Chris Jenner. And, you know, and Kim, who at the time is unapologetically hungry for fame, so she'll just do anything to become more no- more noticed and more seen. And, you know, he's very clearly not used to any of this and, or what's happening to him. And also who would be, you know, then they separate and, you know, his narrative is written by the family of the woman he just divorced for the world And, you know, who just so happens to also produce the show that he was just exploited on. And all of a sudden, he's a Marvel villain. Like, he is the equivalent of, like, a a giant lizard crawling out of a sewer in New York City and, like, taking over the world. Just, like, a full-on villain. Like, we hated Chris Humphreys. And this is a man who, when you think about it, had nothing really to lose. And if he wanted to, he very easily could have destroyed the Kardashian family if he wanted to, especially because, and we'll get to it much later, but he didn't get anything really out of this divorce. Like Kim was the one that really like benefited from uh, financially from this divorce. He didn't get anything. So he really, if he wanted to, could have really fucking tore this shit up if, if he wanted to, if he was petty. Um. Another thing I definitely want to touch on during this episode is the sort of like look and feel and just general vibe of keeping up with the Kardashians, because it's undeniable that, you know, Kanye's influence on the family, like plays such a major role in the way that the show is presented to us now in comparison to the early years and the Chris Humphreys era, you know, it definitely represents the end of the like old school, like purple confessional background cheesy edits like really super over-the-top scripted storyline period of the show not to say that the kardashians don't truly love a sitcom worthy like scripted moment for absolutely no reason to this day uh but during this time those scripted moments were more like a plot than b plot you know what i mean um chloe addicted to coffee was like a main storyline in a kardashian episode whereas now it's like Bruce Jenner is transitioning into Caitlyn Jenner. Oh, and by the way, Courtney doesn't want Mason to have too many sweets. You know what I mean? Like, now that's like a, a little filler, but it used to be the entire episode. I also want to point out that I have, in fact, done a Kim Kardashian episode in the past. And by the past, I mean the very first episode of this podcast. <laughs> um, so if you want to go back two years and cringe your way through me, introducing this show with a shaky raspy feminine voice feel free i i'm not gonna tell you not to but like i don't want to hear anything about it you know what i mean 
I don't want to hear anything about it. Don't send me any screenshots or screen grabs of me. Like, I don't want to hear it. I, I, I can't. I can't bear me two years ago during the first episode of this. I can't. Um, but I did do an episode about Kim and Nick Lachey. So I'm not going to, like, be detailing, you know, Kim Kardashian's entire life, like, from the fucking OJ trial to meeting. I mean, I've already done all those things. Um, I went into really, really great detail about uh, keeping up with the Kardashians and the, the development of the show and, you know, how Kim sort of became famous. The The story that people don't really talk about as much as they do. You know, she made a sex tape. Like, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, so if you're interested... When you're done with this, you should go back and listen, if you dare. Um, ugh. And, not, and also, by the way, it's just insulting. Like, I just find it insulting to be like, this is who Kim Kardashian is. In this current day and age, in this modern time, in 2019, if you don't know who Kim Kardashian is and why she's famous, like, why in the fuck are you listening to this podcast? Why are you listening to podcasts at all? Why do you have a cell phone? Why are you existing in this world, and how are you existing in this world? I don't understand it. Anyway, pretty much everything I'm going to talk about or mention in regards to Kim um, will revolve around this sort of like early two, early 2010, you know, mid 2010 up to meeting Chris period, just to really hammer home how wacky Kim's career was before she met Kanye. And, like, what Kanye did for Kim beyond her wardrobe was really teach her how to navigate the world as an actual celebrity and not a reality TV star sort of desperate for any and all attention she can get. Uh, And, I, you know, Kim is a true testament to the idea that, you know, the way you view yourself is the way the world will view you if you believe it hard enough, you know? Um, So right before meeting Chris, uh, Kim was, like, sort of at the height of that branding era that we talked about. Um, this is the time in Kim Kardashian's life where, you know, no product was off limits. No item was too cheesy or lowbrow to promote. No amount of exposure was too much. If you had something that needed a pretty face to endorse it, you know, in a contract with a K, Kim was there. You know what I mean? She was any and everywhere at all times. And a lot of people consider 2010 to be the breakthrough year of Kim's career, you know, she went from not really knowing how to categorize herself, um, you know, sort of being introduced on talk shows as like an actor or whatever. You know, sort of becoming this sort of entrepreneur. And I think 2010 was the year that she really leaned into, you know, the image that she's sort of been able to, I, I don't even know, that sort of craft today. But you can really see the building blocks of it starting in 2010. And in late 2009, she was, you know, she was like doing all these weird TV shows. Um, she was accepting really small parts on like How I Met Your Mother. Um, she was a guest host on WrestleMania. <laughs> uh, she was in four episodes of a show called Beyond the Break. Um, she starred in CSI New York because duh. And I think at this time she thought like being an actress would validate her in some way. Like it would make people feel like there was some sort of, um, definitive reason as to why she was famous or why she was showing up to the VMAs. 
She was an act. She's on CSI Miami. Of course, she's showing up to the VMAs. She's a legitimate actress. Uh, she hosted WrestleMania. Billy, um, <clears throat> this guy named uh, Jatnir Sadvid. I don't really know how to pronounce his last name. I'm gonna be honest with you. I also think that Suri may have um, done her own thing with his name. If I'm being honest, I don't think that that is what I intended to write. But uh, he wrote a book about how to market yourself called The Kim Kardashian Principle, Why Shameless Sells and How to Do It Right. Literally a book about Kim Kardashian's marketing techniques. And in the book, he said, Kim Kardashian is an utterly flawed individual, and so are you. She built her fortune on on one literally massive flaw, her well-endowed derriere, turning it into a million-dollar asset. She took her suburban sensibilities and lack of education and reframed them as modern sophistication and glamour. And most (laughs) most notoriously, she used her sex tape as a springboard to overnight fame and lasting success. And any idea that wants to connect with a consumer has to proudly and boldly showcase its flaws. Consumers are bored with and indifferent to perfection. Flaws are revolutionary, intoxicating, and compelling. And I put that in the notes because you guys, I've mentioned, you know, I've mentioned before that I've always found it very fascinating that Kim Kardashian, Kim Kardashian did not succeed in Paris Hilton's world. And Paris Hilton seems to be unable to thrive in Kim Kardashian's world in this sort of modern time. I've talked about this a lot. Paris Hilton was famous during a time when the media and us as consumers did not embrace flaws and we didn't embrace imperfections and we didn't embrace um, vulnerability. Uh, you know, everybody needed to be perfect and skinny and blonde and have a belly ring and, you know, low rise jeans and look like a carbon copy of the same type of girl. A woman could be smart, but not too smart and like just dumb enough that we could endlessly make fun of her without her being able to be in on the joke, right? So we could, like, laugh at her and she'll giggle through it and be a good girl, but also be smart enough to know that we're laughing at her. Like, women were painted into such a strange box during the time that Paris Hilton was famous. But it was a world in which Paris Hilton thrived. Like, Paris really, that was her natural habitat, truly. And now we live in this time in which flaws and imperfections are not only celebrated, but they're expected of a celebrity, especially a reality TV star. And I think that Kim Kardashian has laid all of her insecurities out on the line and really revolutionized the way that reality stars share their personal lives with the public. And I don't think that she really gets any credit for that. Um, And I know that it seems really stupid now to, you know, to talk about Kim's, like, you know, just to, like, put Kim on some sort of pedestal because she talks about her weight issues or, you know, pointing out that, you know, a few times every month, her entire body is covered in psoriasis and that she came out with a body makeup because she's insecure about it on camera. Um, You know, it's weirdly revolutionary in a sense that, you know, Paris Hilton would never have been able to do something like that on the simple life or on one of her failed reality television projects um, and that's why the Kardashians have us in their fucking grips because we, you know, have laughed with them. 
We've laughed at them. We have been angry at them. They've made us cry. You know, especially post-robbery, I think that that really just solidified Kim Kardashian's place in pop culture as an icon and as somebody to not really be fucked with and to not make fun of as much as we did before. Uh, The conversation surrounding Kim Kardashian undeniably changed after her robbery. The date, literally the day it was announced, it changed. And I'll never forget, I actually recorded an episode with Molly um, about the episode where she went into detail about it. And I just remember feeling so differently about her and seeing the conversation surrounding her change so much. And it's just interesting that we're talking about this time in which she was probably the most hated woman in the entire country for, you know, a few months in comparison to now that she is American royalty. It's just fucking nuts. Um, but I want to get back into this like wacky era. I don't want to, I want to, I want to stay, <laughs> I want to stay at this wacky, wacky, wacky era of Kim's life where she would literally endorse anything. So she starred in a Carl's Jr. commercial, which doesn't seem like a big deal in 2019. It's like, why would we be talking about her doing a burger commercial? Um, some of you may be too young to recall uh, that Paris Hilton starred in a commercial that was deemed to be extremely controversial at the time for the burger chain where she like, I guess she, wa- I guess she was washing a car. Like, I guess that like, if you, if I had to put my hand on a Bible and swear that she like, and swear that I thought she was doing something. I would say she was washing a car. Allegedly, there's a, a a soapy sponge, and she's in a bathing suit and crawling all over the car. But she's also biting into a burger. It's very weird. Um, but the commercial was so controversial that it was banned, and it became infamous for that reason. So you know, it had a, a, a million people talking about it on the internet, and Paris you know, really started this trend of girls being cast by Carl's Jr. um, in their commercials, in these Super Bowl commercials that were super, super overtly sexual, like unapologetically. And the the controversy was not only, you know, obviously great for the brand, it was major exposure for the company, but it was a really big deal for the girls that did it. It was, uh, I mean, all of a sudden, these girls that are like, you know, maybe not so known or whatever were talked about in a giant major way. And they were really fucking like, they were so over the top and just so early two thousands. Like I watched a bunch of them in a row on YouTube and there's one where these three, uh, like I actually watched it on mute. So I honestly don't even know who these girls were, but I want to say that they're playmates and there are three of them and they were promoting, um, a burger called the bacon three way. Just like, you know what I mean? Um, Padma Lakshmi did one. Audrina Patrick was in one. Um, it was a whole thing. And it just seems so silly to talk about now. But it was like, at the time, such a big deal for Kim. Who uh, actually was like one of the most controversial commercials because she didn't eat a burger. She ate salad. It's a whole fucking thing. We'll get into it. So, Carl's Jr.'s statement... And this is, like, truly such a low for me that I'm reading a statement from Carl's Jr. Like, you have officially, you are officially right now listening to the most lowbrow podcast available on iTunes. Like, we are skimming the ground of the bottom of the Titanic right now. 
They said Carl's Jr. knew the, that partnering with Kim Kardashian to promote its new line of grilled chicken salads would help raise awareness for the delicious sit-down restaurant quality creations. But they were thrilled at how much buzz the young celebrity could generate. Through January 8th, interest in Kim Kardashian's salad commercial has received unparalleled press coverage, garnering 28 million media impressions, potential viewers slash readers, more than three times the quantity achieved by any of the chain's previous celebrity commercial stars. And amazingly, more than all of them combined. That's just like truly a a dig at Paris. Like there's nothing more to that. Kim Kardashian has not been an absolute joy to work with. And her genuine, Kim Kardashian has been an absolute joy to work with, and her genuine charm, charisma, beauty, and brains have endeared her to a huge fan base. Uh, said Brad Haley, the executive vice president of the mark of marketing for Carl's Jr. Because of Kim's immense popularity, her commercial is not only a hit on television; it's a hit in the digital space as well. And the result is that the new salads, particularly Kim's favorite, the cranberry apple walnut grilled chicken salad, have been selling at record pace. As the com- as the commercial says, who says salads can't be hot? They also mentioned in the article that Kim has a whopping 562,000 fans on Facebook with your aunties and 2 million followers on Twitter. Um... But this went on to become this like very controversial thing because in 2015, the CEO for the company said that Kim was the only model to ever promote a salad instead of a burger because she just simply was not good at eating it. And if we had, if we had not been promoting a salad, we probably would have never done the ad with Kim in the first place. To which Kim's publicist stated that Kim was, at the time, promoting a workout DVD. So how dare Carl's Jr.? She wanted to tie it in. And eat something healthy. She was also low carb. So then Carl's Jr. responded during a <laughs> during Burger Gate and said that Kim was incredible to work with and that she was on a low carb diet during the time. So they were happy to promote their salads with her. Blah, 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 blah. A.K.A. Christian are called and said, who the fuck tried my daughter? And you're wondering why I'm mentioning this to you. And it's because I want you to understand and I want you to have a full grasp on... The fact that Kim, who is like our fucking princess die at this point, this is the shenanigans and the buffoonery that she was involved in. Public feuds with Carl's Jr. Like, that's how lowbrow Kim Kardashian was in this, in this, uh, not even that many years ago. Um, and also because Kim would sign her name to literally any product that offered her money, she was always involved in these very strange public controversies with a K uh, that you look back on and say, huh, you know what I mean? Like, I literally, when I was doing research for this, I looked like a dog responding to, like, a human's voice raising octaves. Like, my head just, like, kept tilting left and right because I couldn't believe what I was reading. Like, a five-month feud with Carl's Jr.? Like, a truck stop burger joint like what the fuck 2010 was also the year that animal rights groups really started to hate kim um which is something that i feel like she's kind of iconic for now is like being like unapologetic about how much she loves fur even though people in her family have posed for PETA. um she was ranked by PETA as one of the top five worst offenders of wearing fur um, and in April, she posted a photo of herself on set of a photo shoot 
holding this kitten by the scruff of its neck, and the animal groups lost their fucking mind. Uh, this was a huge deal. PETA did an interview with People Magazine where they said, Kim Kardashian isn't the only person who mistakenly thinks that because a mother cat picks up her kittens by the scruff of, a, uh, the scruff of their neck, that a supportive hand under the rump isn't needed. But I'll bet plenty of fans uh, have have to... But I'll bet plenty of fans have let her know. But nicely, we hope, the manner in which Miss Kardashian is holding the kitten could lead others to mishandle animals as well. To which Kim had to respond via Twitter and say, Rest assured, the owner and vet were on set and showed me how to perfectly pick up the kitten. The, <laughs> the cat was not harmed in any way and is perfectly fine. I love animals and would never do anything to harm them. This was Kim Kardashian's life. This was it. Like, this was, like, the level of fame she was at. Uh, Kim also tried to... She continued to try and make Jonathan Cheban happen, even though he was never and is never going to happen, which I feel like in recent years, she's definitely come to terms... Either she or him has come to terms with the fact that it's not going to happen like, even after 2010, there was still, like, that very long period of Kim incorporating him into into storylines on the show, like, very heavily. And that I cannot and will not deal with. I just can't. I have my, I have my breaking points. And Jonathan truly is, like, my breaking point. Um, Kim served as the executive producer to a reality show which focused on... Jonathan Cheban's day-to-day life as the owner of a PR firm, um, it lasted for a single season. I don't think that it even had a finale, and I know that nobody watched it. Um, Kim, Chloe, and Courtney also wrote a truly embarrassing book called Kardashian Confidential with a K that featured beauty tips, hair ideas, and fashion advice. Um, so basically, it was like a Cosmo, but like with a hardcover. And with the Kardashians' faces on it, like giving kiss, like blowy kisses. Um, and my personal favorite thing to, to look back on in Kim's long history of embarrassing career choices comes in the early and mid two thousands. A little song, so eloquently titled "My Jam," turn it up. Can we talk for a second, y'all? Can we talk? You thought that we were going to talk about 2010 Kim Kardashian and not discuss her club banger, My Jam, Turn It Up. Kim Kardashian released a fucking song the year before she married Chris Humphreys. A song. Imagine Kim releasing music in 2019. Imagine it. So in 2010, Kim was introduced to The Dream, who is iconic. We all know who The Dream is. At the time, he was best known for writing and producing Umbrella. Um, He also wrote Single Ladies and All of the Lights, Holy Grail. Uh, He worked with uh, Chance the Rapper on Ultralight Beam for Life of Pablo. Um, He's also just super close to Kanye and Chance and Kid Cudi and like that whole, you know, that whole gang. And, um... It was actually the dream and Kanye who pushed Kim to do this. Kim said, they gave me good advice. They asked me what I did for fun. I said, I go shopping. I hang out with my friends and was told we go to the studio for fun. So you should come with us. Um, I didn't really think much about it. 
So rumors started to surface that Kim was seen leaving a studio and a source told People Magazine that she was working on a fun, feel-good club song. Um, The Dream said in an interview that it was actually one of the most fun and light experiences that he ever had in the music studio. In the music studio? Hi, it's me, Troy McEady. I'm 94 years old. It's the most fun that he ever had in the music studio. Beatboxing and doing doing producing and beats. Um... (laughs) Uh, because he said that he w- it was fun working with somebody who didn't care about launching a music career. Kim was obviously just doing this for fun and to be silly. She didn't want to like be a singer or even a one-hit wonder. She just wanted to release a song to say that she had done it, allegedly. I don't know if that's true. If this song had done really well, I can't say that I don't believe Kim wouldn't have like released a full album called Kim Kardashian. Let's be real. Um, Kim announced her fun, feel-good dance track at... Tao nightclub in Las Vegas on December 31st at a New Year's party and said, I didn't mean to, but I did this song with the dream and it's really fun. So I hope that you guys like it. She then premiered the song on Ryan Seacrest radio show and showed the entire process of recording and producing the song on Courtney and Kim take New York, which we will obviously be talking about a little bit later. And this is what Kim actually considers to be the biggest regret of her career. One of um, which is actually really saying a lot considering this is a girl who starred in a sex tape with a C-list rapper and was the spokesperson for Shape Ups. You know what I mean? Like, it, it actually is saying a lot. It's a deep, it's a very deep thing to say when you really think about it. Um, in 2014, when she was on Watch What Happened, she said, It's definitely a memory and it was f- a fun experience. We gave the proceeds to a cancer organization. But if there's one thing in life that I wish I didn't do... I don't like it when people kind of dabble into things that they shouldn't be doing. And <laughs> and that I didn't think I should have been do I should have been doing. Like <laughs> what gave me the right to think I could be a singer? I don't have a good voice. It's just funny. Like it's funny that nobody said, "Well, Cam, your voice is actually very shrill and nasal. Are you sure that you want to get into this?" Um especially because she was like legitimately singing. And not just, like, speak rapping or, like, you know, giving, like, a a soft, whispery voice fantasy. Like, she was, like, singing. Ugh. I love it. Tear me up. Tear me up. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, We also can't talk about this song and ignore the fact that there was a music video that never actually premiered. But you can see clips of it on YouTube. And I know that Kim has tried to scrub it from the internet. She's been doing it for years. But... You can't scrub anything from the internet, Kim. You should know that better than anyone. Uh, and she's just giving you... First of all, it was produced by Hype Williams. I don't even know if I said that. But <clears throat> it's just Kim giving you full-on, like, love and hip-hop drag. You know what I mean? Like, really stepping into a character. Like, over-the-top, like, line lips. Like, sucking on a giant lollipop. Cornrows. Latex bathing suit crawling into a fan, just a true sexy cultural appropriation fantasy being brought to you by The Dream and Type Williams and Kim Kardashian. Um, and if you watch this season of the show, then you'll remember that Kanye was on set, like, coaching her through how to film the music video. It's just unimaginable. Um, Kim was ranked as the highest grossing reality TV star of the year in 2010, uh, she ranked in $6 million, which, like, can we can we talk? 
nine years ago, a reality star making $6 million was ranked the highest paid of the entire year. That's wild to me. And uh, I mean, considering Kim Kardashian still probably makes Kim Kardashian probably makes $6 million selling fucking Kimoji merch alone. And that's not even something that she promotes. You know what I mean? Like Kim makes $6 million in, I can't even think of something that makes, like I would say fragrances, but she makes way more than 6 million in fragrances. I'm sure it's unimaginable. $6 million being the highest ranking reality television star. Now we have to talk about Chris and you guys know that I, I always have to throw out the disclaimer when we talk about sports athlete stars and all that, that this is not a foosball podcast. Uh, you know, foosball stars mean absolutely nothing to me. And I will not be going over Chris Humphrey's like hoopy ball stats and all that bullshit. And I'm sorry to disappoint you. I just simply don't care. And also, can I just tell you, it's also sort of like, um, like, you know how straight guys will like belittle pop culture that isn't centered around men and act like they have no idea like what any of it means like the you know the pop culture doesn't reach them it doesn't exist in their world etc etc they'll like pretend to not know Britney Spears's last name or who Ariana Grande is or whatever and this is really my way of like being condescending and self-righteous right back I'm like serving it back you know what I mean this is my gay agenda if I'm being honest with you uh (laughs) this truly is the gay agenda i can't speak for all the gays but this is one of the agendas to uh condescend straight men who pretend to not know anything going on in the world except for the latest foosball scores or whatever from am radio so you know we'll do our best we'll do our best to talk about chris humphrey as a as a basketball star um chris was raised in minnesota his dad uh, was also a, a foosball athlete star. And from what I gather, Chris is one of those kids who was just sort of born to be an athlete. Like he was just born really good at sports. Um, he excelled his entire life and pretty much every sport he ever played. And as a kid, he was ranked as the top 10. Um, <laughs> oh, it's already happening. He was ranked as the top 10 okay he was ranked as the top 10 year old there we go swimmer in the nation i can't even read the words it's so crazy how that happens um he actually beat a preteen michael phelps which is interesting um and as a kid he retired from swimming to pursue a career in basketball um in high school he was named the 2003 mcdonald's all-star american whatever the fuck that means and his senior year he was listed as the number one power forward. I'm not, I'm just not even finishing the sentence. I just don't, I come on. It's honestly so fucked up. And I know that you guys are fast forwarding this right now. Like actually you're fast forwarding this too. You're doing that 10 second skip thing on your podcast app where my voice is jumping all over the place. And you know what? I hope that you can at least make this out enough for me to tell you that that's actually really fucked up and hurtful because I have to read Chris Humphrey's pig ball stats or whatever. That means you need to go through it with me. You know what I mean? Stop fast forwarding my voice. Um, he played for the Utah jazz and the Toronto Raptors and the Dallas Mavericks and the nets. And that should cover it. Uh, <laughs> that is Chris Humphreys. 
I also just want to point out that Chris Humphreys represents everything I despise about athletes, as you know. And I always make these very general assumptions on this podcast that, like, you know, every time we talk about a foosball star that they're all dumb and that they can't read or whatever. And that's obviously beyond not true. Um, I'm mostly just talking about the athletes that you knew in high school that got pushed through all of their classes so that they would be allowed to, um, you know, make the coach happy and make touchdowns and, 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 and hit out of the parks and all that. So, you know, so they get a pass and it's okay that they can't string a sentence together and that they can barely read because they can throw a ball really far. And that really annoys me. Um, but aside from that, Chris Humphreys is truly just a caveman in general. Like even if he wasn't a, an athlete, this man is, I mean, do you remember how dumb he is? Do you remember like if you if you donated Chris Humphrey's body to science after he died and like truly cracked his skull open in his skull, you would find a grocery bag filled with a bunch of other grocery bags like you have in your pantry. Do you know what I'm trying to say? You would literally find an empty skull full of recyclable bags, like just just a pantry of junk. No brain to be found. This man is a Frankenstein. He actually reminds me a lot of Evan Peters in American Horror Story Coven. Um, just like a Frankenstein, like a brute idiot. <laughs> um, so right before meeting, right before meeting Chris, Kim actually spent the holiday uh, with Gabriel Aubrey, uh, Halle Berry's ex and the father of her kid. And rumors very quickly started to circulate that Halle Berry was not very happy that Kim Kardashian was photographed that evening with her ex. Um, so he decided to break things off with her um, because he was afraid of, you know, losing custody of his kid. They were in a custody battle, a very public one. And that was a story that definitely made the rounds. On October 31st of 2010, Kim was spotted sitting courtside at one of Chris Humphrey's basketball games. And they made their first public appearance together in December. They were photographed holding hands while walking the streets of New York. Um, MTV asked Lala about it, and she said, All of the NBA guys are good guys and my friends. I just want my friends to be happy, whoever it is. And if it makes her happy, then I'm happy. And in January of 2011, only a few weeks after going public with their relationship, Kim flew herself out to Minnesota to meet the Humphreys. Um, she was introduced to his sister and his parents over dinner, and a source told E! News that um, they think she's really nice and considerate and pretty. Uh, the next month, Kim, which, by the way, I just have to say, I really love a, a, a an exclusive from E! News when it comes to the Kardashians, because it's just so silly. You know what I mean? It's just so fucking ridiculous. You know that Kim Kardashian, like, broke into Ryan Seacrest's office and, like, wrote that herself and sent it out <laughs> like Chanel Oberlin. Chris Humphrey's family thinks Kim Kardashian is pretty send like that's a real headline. Thank you, Kim. Um, the next month, Kim flew his family out to LA for an intimate Kardashian Humphrey's dinner for his birthday. And E reported that Kim paid for the entire thing. <laughs> Like, come on. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. E reported that Kim was very generous and pretty during the entire dinner. Uh, Kim and Chris were photographed with Brody Jenner and Avril Lavigne at Avril's album release party in New York. 
And I've got to tell you, I would literally give both of my legs, the whole thing, thigh all the way down, to hear a conversation between a 2010 fame-hungry, I lost my diamond earrings, Kim Kardashian, uh, <laughs> with a approaching 30, like, my new record is called is called Girlfriend, and it's very punk rock. It's a very punk rock record. Avril Lavigne conversation. Can you imagine what they talked about? Um, stories started to circulate that Kim was looking for apartments in New York to be closer to Chris, which she denied, but we obviously learned later to be true. Um, and now we're going to be talking about this engagement and marriage and relationship in general, and... I'm going to try and obviously, duh, and I'm going to try and specify when I'm talking about what happened on the show um, and on this extremely scripted spinoff of the show and what happened in real life. Like, I'll be clear because I obviously know now and I think we all know that what was happening on the show wasn't what was actually happening in real life, especially according to Chris Humphrey's court documents, which you guys know how I feel about a court document. Um, so if you watch the show, then you may or may not remember that Chris asked Caitlyn and uh, Chris Jenner if he could propose to Kim, uh, to which Chris Jenner responded, how are you going to propose to us? Iconic. Um, the narrative then became that Chris Jenner, you know, took over the engagement and that it was supposed to be this like very intimate thing. And Chris, you know, took, a, you know, a B list, a B story plot. You know what I mean? Chris is type A. Um, Chris and Kim actually got in a, Chris Humphreys and Kim actually got in a fight the day of their proposal, uh, that they, and they almost ended up breaking up and they got into a conversation on camera about where they would live. And Kim told him that, you know, he would need to move into another house because he lived in a college dorm and she didn't want to downgrade her lifestyle for him. Um, and that she, he also told her that, you know, he was afraid that she would spend all of his money and leave him. And it was reported later that the proposal scene on keeping up with the Kardashians uh, was fake and reshot because Kim was unhappy with the reaction that she gave. So she made she made Chris like restage the whole thing. And then she walked in and uh, reacted again. And like watched it on playback. Um, Chris popped the question with a 20 and a half carat Lorraine Schwartz ring that he allegedly designed and paid for himself. Allegedly uh, six months after meeting each other and the ring cost two million dollars. It was apparently so valuable that it was transported from New York to L.A. in an armored truck Um they made their first public appearance as an engaged couple in uh, Monte Carlo on May 27th of 2011 during a fashion show. Uh, they waited a week before announcing to the public that he had proposed. They registered at Geary's in Beverly Hills, and their registry totaled upwards of $172,000. The cheapest item on their registry was uh, a little over $1,100. Um, Chloe threw them an engagement party at her house, and the guest list included Lala and Brittany Gastineau. Do you guys remember? Do you guys know Brittany Gastineau? Like when you see Brittany Gastineau on the Kardashians, do you know who she is? 
Did you guys watch Gaston Girls? Reach out to me. Like, truly, let me know. Comment on this post on Instagram and tell me, did you watch Gastineau Girls? Do you know Brittany Gastineau and her mom? Please, rem- like, tell me if that's something that you and I can shorthand. You know what I mean? Or do I need to explain to you who that is? If I do, I'm more than happy to do some sort of bonus episode or something. I don't know. But you need to know who Brittany Gastineau is. She is iconic. So Chloe wrote in her blog, it was insane how quickly we threw it together. We decided on a Monday that we were going to have it at my house, and then it took place on a Thursday. We are nuts, but it w- but we've all been so busy with our schedules that this was the only time we could do it and get everybody together. Even with just three days to pull it together, it turned out super fab. Uh, Chloe also added, Kimmy and Chris loved it, which made me so happy. Uh, the girls were photographed. Uh, at Vera Wang's bridal store in West Hollywood looking for a dress. The photos are very obviously staged. Uh, They are in full glam and like basically posing in front of the window. I think that this was supposed to be some sort of nonverbal announcement that Vera Wang would be the designer of the dress. Um, Kim also wanted the pictures of her looking for a wedding dress to circulate so that designers would reach out. And, um, yeah, she ended up uh, taking her friends to uh, Minnetonka for the 4th of July to meet Chris's family. She posted a picture of them on Twitter, uh, jet skiing and watching baseball. Like, ugh, so sure. There's nothing worse than the girl that pretends to like foosball because her boyfriend does. Like, if you're that girl, I promise you a lot of people hate you. You know what I mean? It's just, there's no way around it. You're, that's the worst. Um Chris and Kim sent out these really over-the-top, elaborate wedding invites that were designed by Lair and Black, the same company that did uh, Gwen and Gavin. They did Chloe and the Mars, Fergie and Josh. Um, it was similar, really, honestly, to the one that Kristen Wiig opens in Bridesmaids when the butterfly, like, flutters in her eyelash. Like, very tacky, very over-the-top, very 2010 Kardashians. Um... The bridal shower was planned by Chris and thrown in L.A. Uh, the guest list included Mel B., Demi Lovato, Serena, uh, Serena Williams, and um, both of their entire families. They then immediately flew to Vegas, where they uh, had separate bachelor and bachelorette parties that ended up being joined at the end of the night. And in their final appearance in public as a non-married couple, Chris was her date to the launch of the Kardashian collection with a K for Sears in LA. Um, and I've got to tell you, you guys know how much I love weddings. This may be the most over the top wedding I think I've ever spoken about, especially because it was for TV. Like all of the over the top weddings I've spoken about before were so private and hidden, you know, very like Tiger Woods buying an entire island so like nobody can, you know, uh, can take pictures and purchasing all the planes in, in in the country so nobody can fly them. They're all very private, whereas this one was like everything was exposed and it was just so fucking over the top. I love it. Um. So, yeah, we're going to talk about this wedding, um, you know, which maybe add, I think the wedding maybe adds to why people are so upset with them not staying together. Spoiler alert, they divorce. I think that maybe the wedding played a part in it because it was so over the top and it just felt so 
Like, you made us sit through this fucking two-part bullshit, and you were together for a week? Like, girl. So the wedding took place on August 20th of 2011 at a private estate. Uh, Kim told People Magazine, it was like we were in heaven. To which Chris added, I'm always going to remember how perfect it was. Um, Sharon Sachs, the wedding planner, told the press that Chris and Kim mixed classic tradition with over-the-top Hollywood glamour. Karen also said, Kim loves black and white, so and so does Chris. They have this Hollywood royalty feeling, and the black and white represented formality. Uh, but tradition was also very important to them as well. Um, Kim wore a, now I wouldn't say iconic, a pretty iconic now, Vera Wang ball gown. And Nicole Richie actually uh, played a hand in helping her pick out the style of dress that she was going to wear. Um, in an interview, she told People Magazine, I had this vision for her gown. I told her um, to hear me out, and I said, you should go super classic, really old Hollywood, think museum. You can't go with something trendy. And Kim was actually, after those photos were released of her at Vera Wang's um, store, she was bombarded with uh, designers asking her if they could design a dress for her. So she picked three, and they totaled $60,000. Kim wore $40,000 worth of diamonds. Um, They had an eight-foot-tall, 600-pound wedding cake for their 400 guests. There was a special room set up for the crew with nine camera monitors so that they didn't miss anything. Um, And the problem with that was that the camera people kept picking up on the guests saying inappropriate things that they didn't know they were being recorded saying. Um, Kim was heard on camera saying how much she hates Chris (laughs) and that she only wanted to get married because she felt old. The ceremony was obviously filmed for E! for the Kim and Chris Fairy tale wedding special, a Kardashian event. It drew in 10.5 million viewers, um, part one and part two. And to this day, is this wedding special and the episode where she confirms that they're not going to be together are the highest ranked Kardashian episodes of all time. Um, there was a scene leading up to the episode where Kim discloses to Kris Jenner that she has cold feet. And doesn't know she wants to go through with it. And it was reported in Chris Humphrey's um, court documents and also based on paparazzi photos that the film was uh, staged and or the film, the scene was staged um, and it was actually filmed after they had already broken up and then added into the show to sort of help control the narrative. <laughs> you know what they say about how fast the devil works and how Chris Jenner works faster? I mean, it is like. The amount of the things that we think we know about the Kardashians, I can't even imagine how many of them are a true ruse, a true bamboozlement from uh, from Kris Jenner. Chloe was actually very briefly disinvited from the wedding uh, because she questioned Chris Humphrey's motives. Um, and I, I do remember watching the show and sort of falling victim to the Kardashian trap for sure. Um, you know, Chris Humphreys was edited to look sort of like verbally abusive and brutish, um, to not only Kim, but to, you know, other members of the family. 
not to say that that wasn't true, but it's like, I, I also don't believe that this is all Chris Humphrey's fault. Like, come on. This man is much too simple to be so, like, such a mastermind. It's just not possible. Um, you know, Chloe hated him and made a comment on the show that uh, she gave the marriage six months, which is ironic because um, it lasted nowhere near that. And, uh, you know, there's just so many clips from this episode that are iconic, honestly. This this these this part one and part two of the show, I mean, it's ironic when you think about like what the subject matter was that it's like this embarrassing, horrible event. But like so many of the moments from this show are the most iconic moments in the show's history. You know, Kim crying in their glam room to Courtney that she's a failure, like her iconic ugly crying face, and. Kim telling Chris to, to, to dive into the ocean to find her diamond earrings, to which Courtney replies, Kim, there are people dying with no emotion and a baby on her hip. You know what I mean? There's so many moments that you, when you think of the Kardashians, you think, I keep saying their name weird, I know it, the Kardashians. When you think of them, you think of a lot of these moments from these these two episodes, part one and part two. Uh, Kim and Chris had apparently not spent more than a week together before they got married, and uh, they were together in New York while Kim fi- uh, filmed uh, Kim and Courtney Take New York. But Chris would often go home to be with his family in Minnesota. So they never really spent any time together. And then Kim eventually just moved back to California because the charade was over. Uh, Chris later admitted that he knew Kim was cheating on him with Kanye West because apparently Chris Jenner would describe Kanye as a close family friend when uh, he would inquire about their weird relationship. I mean, they would text all night and they would like spend so much time together alone. It's like, <laughs> you know, uh, he told the press later that he knew for sure that she was hooking up with Kanye because Kanye wasn't invited to the wedding. And it was just very odd that this person who spends so much time with the family that they all love so much and that uh, Kim herself seems to be pretty obsessed with wasn't then invited to the family after being described as a, wait, to the wedding after being described as a family friend. It's just weird. Um, Kanye actually later admitted to texting her and asking her not to go through with the marriage. He would send her like pictures of like, all these former athletes in their 50s and 60s and show how terrible they age and say, like, this is what you have to look forward to. He's ugly and he's not going to age well. Um, he literally said on Chloe's talk show that he got a cell phone specifically to text Kim and try and get her to break up with this guy. Um, I mean, between the $180,000 that Kim earned from People Magazine for the engagement photos, to the $1.1 million for the wedding photos, to the $90,000 for having their fucking bachelor parties at town nightclub, to the $1 million from E! for airing the wedding special, Kim earned a fuck ton of money for simply getting married to this guy that she hated which only furthered the narrative that she did this to help her career, especially because Kris Jenner released a statement saying that Kim has earned nothing. You know, she's earned no money for this wedding. And then when they went to court, uh, Chris Humphreys had a much different story to tell. And it was, I mean, the facts were facts. 
Uh, they honeymooned in Paris and then very briefly in Capri. They were photographed having dinner on their balcony. And Kim showed up to the VMAs, the first major event since their wedding, alone. Uh, which obviously caused this giant media circus and, you know, people started to lose their shit. They were like, what's going on with this weird marriage? You got married so fast. Was this real? Was it fake? Are you guys going to divorce and then collect money? Like, what's happening? And there was a really, you know, it was just sort of like nonverbal and in a lot of cases, a lot of ways, verbal countdown to like when this would when when the shit would hit the fan like people were just waiting to see how many months this would actually last because we all knew it wasn't going to um they ended up releasing statements to the press where uh they said that chris was not at the vmas with her because he was just simply at home packing for his big move to new york city uh chris attended new york fashion week with scott uh but he never once showed up with kim and Kim and Chris were both photographed on September 27th, not wearing their wedding rings on the same day in different parts of the country. Uh, not good. Not a good look. To which they both told the press that the reason they weren't wearing their wedding rings is because they don't like to wear them when they work out. Uh, they made a lighthearted appearance on the Ellen show to try and sort of dispel rumors where they planned... Uh, uh, like this like fake Vegas wedding. Kim said that if she could go back, she would not have like the big over the top wedding and that she wished that she had just gone to Las Vegas and eloped because the wedding was too much pressure. So Ellen did like a fake elope thing to try and like make them seem like they were in love. It was a whole awkward thing. And they were just so awkward together, you know? Um, then on Kim's 31st birthday, she spent the day with Courtney and Mason. He was nowhere to be found. And uh, the next few weeks were just this endless slew of Kim showing up to any and every event she possibly could. I mean, it was Halloween. You know how much Kim Kardashian loves Halloween. This is also the year that she dressed up as um, as Poison Ivy. And I feel like she went to like nine different parties that year. So not one with her husband. <laughs> uh and yeah, on October 31st of 2011, it was announced by E! that Kim and Chris were separating. Within hours of the announcement, Kim had filed divorce papers in Los Angeles, citing irreconcilable differences. Hello, old friend. Uh, Kim released a statement saying, I had hoped this marriage was forever, but sometimes things just don't work out as planned. We remain friends and wish each other the best. She also said on her blog, I'm married for love. I would not have spent so much time on something that was just for a TV show. I share so much of my life on a reality show that contemplating whether to ever film my wedding was a tough decision. Uh, and maybe it turned out to not be the smartest decision to make. I felt like I was on a fast roller coaster and couldn't get off when now I know I probably should have earlier. Um, to which Chris replied, I love my wife and I'm devastated to learn that she filed for divorce. I'm committed to this marriage and everything that's uh, covenant that this covenant represents. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make it work. It was reported by Chris that the cameras following them around obviously made a huge impact on their relationship and them being able to get to know each other. You know, that was something that it was a life that he was just completely not used to. And um, he said in interviews that it forced him to react, you know, in ways that he would normally react to situations because he felt the pressure of knowing that, you know, 
decisions he was making privately in his home with his wife would be TV fodder for like a sitcom themed reality show. Um, and one of the things I think people seem to forget about when it comes to this relationship is how brutal the court hearing was. You know, Chris Humphreys actually filed an annulment uh rather than a divorce claiming that the 72 day marriage was based on fraud and that Kim and her family used their relationship to boost ratings for their show. Uh, They fought for so long in court that they were technically still married when Kim announced she was pregnant with North and Chris Humphreys uh, also threatened to write a tell all book exposing the Kardashians and all of their secrets and everything that he was privy to while filming this show. Um, The trial lasted until mid-April of 2013, and after 17 months of back and forth, Chris Humphreys did not receive the $7 million that he was requesting from the judge. Uh, Chris also made an appearance on Good Morning America in December where he was asked if he still loved Kim and how he was doing. And we said, he said, he responded by laughing and saying, I'm focused on what I can control and what is and uh, that's being ready to play ball and support my mom and her cookie baking company. <laughs> um, he was also asked by Access Hollywood if the marriage was real. And he said, look, I'm in a great place. To me, it was real. I would never go through something and do something that wasn't real or that I didn't believe in. So I can only really speak for myself in terms of that. It's funny because the Kardashians are obviously, you know, pros at this point of like, you know, especially Kim, the true matriarch of the family. Um, you know, if this happened in 2019, they would have all their ducks in a row. Everything would be figured out. Chris would know exactly what media outlets to go to when the perfect day to, 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 to make statements. Um, it would play out on the show. We would be able to see the narrative from their point of view. And then within maybe five or six months, it would be old news, nothing that anybody cared about. We'd be on to the next thing. So this was by far the most negative press that they had ever received at this point. And they were such a punchline, you know, for the remainder of the year. I mean, literally every late night show, you know, every host for of a TV show, every every person who had like a, a four minute uh, segment on television was taking shots at Kim and making a version of the same joke, you know, that like so-and-so-and-so lasted longer than Kim Kardashian's marriage, blah, blah, blah. In 2015, Kim told the Mirror UK that divorcing Chris was more of a business risk than actually staying with him. She said uh, that she had told her family that I hoped you saved your money because I think we're done. Like, and I I get it. I completely understand how she thought that this would be the thing that possibly ended their careers because people, as I said, as you know, hated them for this hated kim um in 2017 she was on the la the live version of watch what happens live and she said i just thought holy shit i'm 30 years old i better get this together Uh, i better get married i think a lot of girls uh do go through that where they freak out thinking that they're getting old and that they have to figure it out um you know all of their friends are having kids and it was more of that situation than anything else Um, She also said that she knew it wasn't going to work when they went on the honeymoon and they had nothing in common and nothing to talk about. Um, And they'd never spent much time together. In March of this year, actually, 
Chris told USA Today, he said, look, I should have known what I was getting myself into. I was definitely naive about how much life was going, how much my life was going to change. But the one thing that really bothers me is when people say that my marriage was fake. That's definitely a lot of, uh, there's definitely a lot about the world that's not entirely real. Oh, there's definitely a lot about their world, let me specify, that is not entirely real, but our actual relationship was 100% real. Um, when it was clear that it wasn't working, what can I say? It sucked, he said. I've never, it was never easy to go through that embarrassment, um, especially something like that with all your friends and your family, but when it plays out so publicly in front of the world, it's a whole other level. It was really brutal. I'll be honest, I dealt with a lot of anxiety, especially in crowds. There was more, uh, there was about a year where I was in a dark place. I didn't want to leave my home, he said. You feel like, I don't know, the whole world hates you, but they don't even know you and they don't know why, and you don't know why. You know that it's not your fault and they only recognize your face, but they don't know you. And you know, it's crazy that, I mean, Chris Humphreys got out of this sort of, um, not unscathed. I mean, now this is like literally the only thing he's known for is his failed relationship. But at the same time, like, you know, years later for him to have just sort of like transitioned into a quiet life is wild considering what his life was for like a year and a half. And, um, yeah, I mean, Kim started dating Kanye like a month after they separated, which basically confirmed to I'm very, very tongue tied right now. And I think it's because I'm spraying too much uh, chloroseptic on my tongue. But we've all been there, right, girls? Um, but, I, you know, it basically confirmed to everybody that Kim was definitely fucking Kanye while she was married. And you know what? Good for you, because obviously in some cases, things like this are just meant to be. You know what I mean? They were obviously not meant to be in a relationship, and they would have broken up either way. And no, it's not okay to be an adulterer, but come on. Same thing with with, uh, Brad and Angelina. You guys know that I say this all the time. And it triggers you, I know. But obviously it was meant to be because they brought so many, like, awesome fucking kids into the world in whatever way that they had them, you know? And, I mean, Kim was very clearly meant to have a period of her life whether that's going to be forever or however long with kanye you know and this terrible relationship sort of led her to that so good for her maybe next week we'll do kim and kanye should we just do it now that we're in it now that we're i mean we're basically about to start talking about kim and kanye should we just do it maybe we'll just do it i don't know i don't know i love you though that was really all i had to say my throat hurts now duh i have chronic bronchitis you know that about me um that's all i have to say i guess i'll see you here next week i think we're gonna do another fictional couple episode next week so that'll be fun i have a really good one planned and um i love you guys very much and i will see you on the fleeps or whatever bye thank you for listening to this mushroom an emotionally broken psycho's patreon exclusive please make sure to head over to apple Podcasts and subscribe rate and review it really helps your boy also, make sure to head over to patreon.com slash evpsychos for more information on this show and other Patreon-exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McEady. That's T-R-O-Y-M-C-E-A-D-Y. You can also follow this podcast at EBP underscore Smushroom. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. 